0: Hey, good morning, everybody. My name's Mark. Really glad you're here. What we're doing is we're in the middle of a series. Now, what a series is, is where we take a particular subject and uh, we talk about it for several weeks until we're either tired of it or people stop coming or whatever. And so then we move on to another subject and talk about that for a while. But uh, what this series is, called Questioning God. And the basic premise is we're taking uh, what we believe to be the top five questions that people have um, that, that causes them to object to Christianity or causes them to resist God and say, you know, I, I, I want to believe in God or I want to have some sort of relationship with him. I want to go to church. I've looked at Christianity, sort of thinking about that. But I have these certain questions that are causing uh, me to uh, sort of stay, keep it at arm's length and it's sort of, sort of causing me to stumble or whatever. So uh, we're taking those five questions and we intended to take five weeks with that, but what I'm going to do today, I, I was just unsatisfied with, uh, with the, um, I just don't feel like I got done last week with the first question. And uh, by the way, as we're going through here, if you have a question about what we're talking about, now, you know, try to keep it as close to the subject as you possibly can. You know, if you have a question about, you know, how do I get my stunning good looks and charm, is there some things I can't? pass on to someone else. But if you have a question about what we're talking about, at any time during the, the message today, and this will be anonymous, we, we won't be able to tell who you are unless you tell us your name, which you can do if you'd like. Uh, 415-SB-ROCKS, or of course the number uh, is spelled out there, and from time to time, uh, th- those, that number will be on the screen during the message so you can text in a question. And we'll take a little bit of time at the end and go over those questions. Um, and after last week's message, we have um, a life group, and if you don't know what a life group is, let me, let me ask you this question. How many of you are involved in some way? Let me just take a quick poll here. You're involved in some way in one of our, we have about 26, 27 life groups. Let me see your hand. That's actually quite a few of you. Um, we want to shoot for actually about 120% of people involved in a life group. Now, you think that, how can you get 120%? Because there will actually, and there actually are, there are a few people right now, that they, they work on Sundays and they don't ever get to come to Stonebrook, but they're involved in a life group. So uh, we wanted to be even more involved than just us. But we, I'm, I'm involved in a life group, it's called Question Mark, and we, we get together every now and then on Sunday nights and we talk uh, about different questions people have about God, the Bible, Jesus, whatever. And so we, we attempted last week on Sunday night, because it didn't quite get finished, and uh, we attempted to talk some more about this why. And the question was, here's the question from last week, is why does God allow so much suffering and evil in the world? And uh, we started to talk about it and we actually were there for almost five hours and they had so many questions. Every time we would start to talk about it, somebody would bring up another question. We never even got to that question during question marks. So we're gonna to try to, to cover it here today. So why, and this is the question, and, and this is something that really, really causes people to sort of stop and say, so you're telling me that there's a God in heaven that is all-powerful, and he loves me, and he, he, he will do anything for me, but then why does my wife, why is she fighting this battle with cancer? Why when I look on the news and I see all the natural disasters, why, as the World Health Organization tells us, today, just today, 50,000 people will die because of some poverty-related issue. Why is all this suffering and evil in the world? And it's, and it's not something that we want to take lightly. It's not something that we want to just answer from a, to, be glib, to glibly answer from a theological standpoint and say, well, here's what it is, because people are honestly, honestly suffering. There are some of you this morning that uh, you've been touched by by, some, by a disease or a tragedy, or you know someone, have some relatives that are going through an amazingly rough time. And the question becomes in those situations, if, if you are not a Christian, it's something that keeps you uh, sort of at arm, arm's length from God. But also it happens to us that we call ourselves believers, to where, you know, it can cause some trust issues in ourselves. How can I trust this person that you're telling me is my father this person that you're telling me loves me more than anything in this world, yet I've experienced this tragedy, I've experienced this suffering, and I look all, all around the world, and I see all the evil that's here. Can't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something if he can? Perhaps it's because God doesn't exist. Or per- perhaps it's because God doesn't really care. He's not really interested. So that's the question that we are going to pursue a little more today. Now, um, One of the biggest misunderstandings, I believe, and I'll just say this right at the outset, one of the biggest misunderstandings concerning God is thinking that he controls everything. And so many of these questions that we'll talk about, uh, it it comes down to, to to a more core question rather than just saying, why does God cause suffering? What people are really asking is, what is God really like? And I think that and I don't want to be arrogant about this. I don't want you to think that I think I know everything because I don't. I don't at all. But it, I've been a Christian for years and years and years. I've been involved in all kinds of different churches. I talk with. I've talked with a lot of people. It's. I have a lot of friends who are unbelievers. I have a lot of friends who would call themselves atheists. I spend a lot of time uh, discussing with them, and uh, I believe that almost everyone. And I don't even know how to say this. It's interesting when you see the life of Jesus. I'll put it this way. When you see the life of Jesus, when Jesus came onto this earth 2,000 years ago, the book of John actually tells us that nobody understood who God was. People thought that they had an idea. They'd been to the church of the day. The religious leaders of the day had been saying certain things about God. And Jesus basically came along and said, Well, everything that you're thinking how God is, that's not right. I am like God is. If you want to see what God is like, look at me. And uh, it seems to me that in religious circles, in, in lots of churches I've been in, and, and the ideas that people that are far from God, people that wouldn't call themselves believers have about Him, they've heard in church or they've heard their friends say certain things about God, and they are, they are basing their picture of God, and everybody, whether you believe it or not, you have a picture in your mind of God. When you think of who God, I don't mean you have a picture of of a, well, this is sort of an interesting thing. How many of you guys, when you, when you actually picture God, you see like an old guy with white hair and a long beard sitting on a throne? Anybody? See, isn't that interesting? Where does that come from? We don't, like, like when, you, when you think of Jesus, don't you see a guy with long hair and a beard? That's because you've seen the pictures. I was totally unaware they had cameras at that time, but there's pictures everywhere of this guy. But we have a certain physical picture, but we also have this this emotional, this theological picture of how God acts, what God thinks, how God would respond, sort of his disposition. Most people think that God would be a person that might not want to be bothered, somebody that you would sort of be fearful in approaching He's not somebody that you could just, hey, God, what's going on? How's your day going? You know, you just couldn't come in and just uh, sort of just be happy. Like most of you would think, just just be honest with me. If God was sitting here today, if this was his throne and we were all on his throne, wouldn't you think that you would sort of need to be quiet? You know, I need to be, God's here. I need to be respectful. And as you approach him, you would think, you know, I need to be pretty formal. I might need to go home and dress up. I might need to prepare a written statement, I don't know. But we don't see God as this approachable person that is absolutely crazy nuts in love with us, that is so interested in the smallest details of our life and is actually, his, his disposition is toward us. His, his disposition is with his arms out. His disposition is that he has a smile on his face, that when he thinks about us or when he sees us do things, that he's actually, that he might even laugh. You know some of the things you do when you're at home and Taylor Swift comes on and she's singing Shake It Off and you're in the shower. You know what you do. You don't think God sees you in the shower? That's sort of an uncomfortable thought now, isn't it? I'm never showering again. God can see me. He can hear you. I think he gets the biggest kick in the world out of it. We have the wrong picture of God. And, and that's, what, that's the reason we're going through this. It's actually why we started this church. One of the mandates of this church was that we would create a place where people could come. They could Come with their doubts, come with their questions, but come and get their, their thinking changed. Because I, I think in general, the world, and, and America especially, has the wrong idea of who God is. So here's, here's where we're going to go. I'm just going to give you the answer in a sentence. Because God honors his image in us. We're going to see from Genesis 1 that he made us just like him. We are a chip off the old block, if you will. If you want to know, frankly, uh, how God is, you can, you can actually look at yourself many times. The, the thoughts you have toward your children, the thoughts you have toward your spouse, the thoughts you have toward people that are in need, those ideas would come to you because you're made in the image of God. Because God honors his image in us, he resists overriding our free choice even when our poor choices have bad consequences. Now, there was a time when Jesus was on the earth. Now, remember Jesus? He is God in the flesh. We say it this way. He's God in a bod. He is the physical representation of God himself on the earth. And as he was approaching the end of his earthly ministry and life, he, he had come to Jerusalem where he was about to be crucified. And Jerusalem, the, the nation of Israel... God had dealt with them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The whole, if you read all, throughout the whole Old Testament, the Old Testament is basically a story of God dealing with His people, them resisting Him. God manipulating circumstances as best He can to try to draw them back to Him, and them constantly resisting Him, saying no to Him, disobeying, uh, refusing uh, His His advances, refusing His love, and toward the end of his life, just as Jesus is about to be crucified, he's probably up on a hill overlooking the entire city of Jerusalem, and he says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Now notice this. This is how God's disposition is. How often I have wanted, this is what I wanted, I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects. Say that word with me, protects. It's God's nature. It's God's disposition. He's saying to to the nation of Israel, to his people, I've wanted to protect you. Just like a mother hen gathers her chicks under, something is trying to attack them or bad weather is coming or whatever, and those chicks run under their mother's wings. God is saying, that's exactly how I feel toward you. I've constantly wanted to protect you. I know there's evil in the world. I know there's suffering in the world. My desire is for you to come to me where I can protect you. Just like a hen protects her, her chicks beneath her wings. But then the last part of the verse, he says, but you, you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't let me. That is frankly in a nutshell. Jesus is, is a, an amazing, masterful communicator. He's constantly putting so much into one little phrase. That in a nutshell is the entire story of the Bible, the entire story of man's relationship with God. is God saying, come to me. Your, Your life, your protection, everything that you could possibly need is all contained in being close to me and man resisting that but you wouldn't let me and that's a key to understanding why is there so much suffering and evil in the world it's god saying come here i'll protect you and us saying no I- i'm not interested but you wouldn't let me and then he said and now look your house is abandoned and desolate and very uh, just a few years after jesus makes this statement to jerusalem jesus knows what's coming the whole city the whole frankly the whole religious system of the Jewish people was destroyed in 70 AD, just 38, 37 years after Jesus says this. He said this another place in, in Mark chapter 7. He said, For from within, for from within us, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things, Jesus said, all these vile things come from within. And they are what defile. They are what causes the destruction. They are what is causing the problems that you're facing personally, and frankly, the problems that are facing in the world. Jesus is saying the problem with the, uh, our surroundings is because of what co- is coming out of, from within the human heart. Now, what we're going to look at, and this is sort of where we stopped last week, we're going to go back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis, and it's the very first book of the Bible. And if, if you you know if you have your Bible, you can follow along, or the verses will will be up here on the screen. And we're going to sort of see God's original intention in creating us, and uh, sort of the arrangement that He made. Now, I said this last week, just as we end, uh, just as we ended, that w- when God made us, He wanted. God is God is love. That's who He is. He is not a selfish person at all. And so you have God who has all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom, all of this creative ability. Well, one of the reasons that God created us is He's not selfish. He wants us to experience that. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. Uh, You know, you have actual lives and things that you have to do. Maybe you don't sit around and think of this. But did you ever think of the wonder and the beauty that it is just because you actually exist? The things that you get to experience, the the sights, the sounds, the places you've you've gotten to go and see, the people that you've met, all those relationships, the food you've gotten to eat. My wife's spaghetti. I'm alive and I can experience that. It's simply because God loved me more than himself. He didn't want to simply live through eternity. He had really no need. He had Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's perfect unity between them. There's perfect communion. He has no really need for someone else. But because he loves us so much, he created us to be like him. He created us to have the same uh, desires, the same character, the same abilities, frankly, that he has. And we're going... But one thing that God wants, God desires relationship, just like you desire relationship. You desire even as introverted as you are. How many of you are introverts? You probably don't even want to raise your hand. Yeah, that's me. And this, may, this surprises some people sometimes, but I'm extremely, extremely, extremely introverted. I don't necessarily want to. Now, I, I enjoy from time to time being around a crowd, like on Sunday mornings. But then I have to go rest and recover somehow. But as introverted as I am, and as much as I love to be alone, there's something in me that after a while, I just want to talk to somebody. I just want to -to face-to-face see somebody. I want to interact in some way. That desire comes from God, because that's the way He is. And uh, the the basic thing that we need to know about God and His relationship, and, and I always say this jokingly, some people don't even know who this is, it's the gospel according to cheap trick. Some of you younger ones last week said, who's Cheap Trick? And It hurts me. It really hurts me right here. Uh, it's from the 70s. But Cheap Trick, it's, look it up. It's in the Bible. Cheap Trick said this. I want you to want me. And everybody in a relationship, that's what you want. You don't want. So, so uh, let's see. How many of you are wives? We got wives in the audience? Okay. Have you wives ever asked your husband to do some sort of chore, some sort of thing that they needed done for you? If you've ever asked your husband, let me see your hand, to do something for you. How many of you then, your husband instantly said, I love you so much. I've been waiting for you to ask me to do something for you. I so oh, I really want to do that. Give me more. How many of you that happened? Some of you? Wow. When we, have our, when we teach on marriage, I want you guys to help us teach that. That's amazing. But occasionally husbands do things like, you know, I've told you that I'm going to do that. You don't have to remind me every four or five months. I'll eventually get to that. But when your husband gets up and he says, okay, I'll fix the cabinet or I'll unclog the sink. Man, you're nagging me all the time. Does that make you feel loved? Is that what you want? You actually want your husband to say, well, I did plan on going to play golf today with all the guys, but what I'm going to do is because I think you're so special, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to take care of that project for you. You want him to want you. It's just what's natural inside of us. We got that from God, and that's a basic thing that if he was going to create someone to be like him, if he was going to create somebody that he could have fellowship with, with himself, he's going to have to give them, and we'll talk about this more in detail next week. I'm really looking forward to this. We were supposed to do it this week, but we put it off a week. He had to give them uh, some responsibilities. He had to give them a free choice to where they could decide whether or not they wanted to be with him. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the story of how God created us and, uh, and see how that works out. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God created us. In his image, and he put us in charge. Now, Genesis 1.26, it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. What are the next three words? They will reign. Now, ultimately, we know that God is in charge, and that's the way that he created the earth. He wanted to ultimately be the one that is acknowledged isn't that cool when that does that? He wants to ultimately be the one that's in charge. He wants to be the one. He wants us to acknowledge, yes, you are the one that created me. Everything I have comes from you. But he gave the responsibility of the earth to us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the anim- small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. The image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful, multiply. The guys always like that part. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign. Look at the words that God is using. You be in charge. You will reign. You govern. You reign over the fish, in the sea, birds, of the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. So, so God at the beginning, put man in charge. Just because, and maybe you've had a boss like this that says, you have this project. You can do this, and he puts you in charge of something. Just because you mess it up, you may have a boss that runs back in and says, okay, you're not in charge anymore. God isn't like that. God is love. God actually uh, wants us to be creative just like him, so he put us in charge over this entire earth. Then we go on and we see some more things. Um, God made us in his image, put us in charge. Genesis 2, verse 7. We are made from elements of creation and creator. There's something different about human beings. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And all of the animals in the entire world are formed from the dust of the ground. But there's something different about us. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. And the man became a living person. We're made from dust and creator. We're made from the creation, but we're also made from creator. We're not just like all the other animals. We're given an elevated place to where we're to serve and protect this, um, this earth. We see that in Genesis 2.15. We were made to serve and take care, because my slide, doesn't, it goes off my slide. We were made to serve and take care of the rest of creation. We were given the authority. We were given the charge to take care of everything around us. It says the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. So we've given, been given this place of authority. It's been handed over to us. Genesis 2.18, we are made for loving relationship. God made us to want to be in communion with other people. Uh, Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. It's not good for us to be alone. Now, here's the thing about us as, as, as human beings. When we get together in a group, either our good is magnified or our evil is magnified. Human beings that get together in a mob throughout all creation, throughout all history, have done some pretty horrible things. When we get together and our bad is multiplied, we sort of feed off of each other's, you think of of the time in, in Hitler's Germany and the Holocaust, where it just seemed right to totally annihilate another group of human beings. We can do some very, very awful things when we get together. And we were made for that relationship. But we were made on the opposite end of the spectrum that as we get together, for example, that's that's the reason God that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. That's the reason we get together in church. Is so in community we learn to be more like God and we feed off of each other's goodness as we learn to, to be like Him. Genesis 2 uh, 19, God partners with man then to bring out his creativity. And that's, I want you to get that part. God partners with us. That is how God, that's the reason that God did this whole creation thing to begin with. He wants it to work with him as the boss, but us partnering with us for his goodness and his character to operate through us into this earth. He wants to channel, to use us. From the very beginning, he did this. Verse 19, it says, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, he brought them to the man. Now notice this. This is real interesting. This sort of leads into what we're going to talk about next week. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Didn't God know what Adam would call them? i have, have to take a poll now. No. So God is bringing animals up to Adam. How many of you say God knew what he was going to call them? So you don't believe the Bible. Is that what you say? How many of you think he didn't know them? Some of you don't have any earthly idea and really don't care all that much, some of you. But this is so interesting to me. This shows the partnership, see we misunderstand this relationship that God has with us. We have the misunderstanding that God is somehow controlling everything. We have the idea that God has has a blueprint and God has an idea and he knows everything that's going to happen and he's somehow causing everything to happen. The Bible simply doesn't bear that out. We'll see it more in detail next week. But here God is bringing animals to see what will Adam call these. And the man chose the name for each one. The New International Version says it this way. Uh, so, give me that next slide there, Greg. I don't have to walk back over to my table. Now, the Lord God had formed all out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sea. He brought them to, to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Whatever... The man decided, God said, okay. It's like he brings this animal and Adam, you know, God says, you know, just say some stuff. Just name some stuff. And he's like, hippopotamus. And God's like, cool. The angels are in the background snickering, you know, I don't know. But whatever he called him, uh, he gets tired as the day goes on, you know, dog. Dog. And God's like, that's my name backwards. Cool. I like that. He brings another one by pff, cat. And God says, well, I didn't create that. Where did those come from? I don't know. There shouldn't be cats in here. I'm not a cat person. Don't hurt me. But God brings all these animals by Adam. And it's just Adam being creative all day long. And God is showing him, no, really, you're in charge. Whatever you say goes. You call it a hippopotamus? You call it a duck-billed platypus? We're going to go with that because I've made you just like me. You're creative. You're in charge. You have the con. You go with this. Now, here is the problem. In Genesis chapter 3, and also in Romans, we see that our sin affects creation. Now, we know that our sin you know, personally we can do direct things, we can pollute the earth, we can, you know, we can drive too many diesel trucks, I don't know, that somehow, you know, we can shoot too many bald eagles or whatever, you know, do all these things where animals become extinct. We can personally affect creation. But the Bible seems to bear out that there's some sort of spiritual connection. Remember, we came ourselves from creation. We are part of it. God made it that way. And he put us in charge. And there's something about... Our disobedience or our falling away from God's plan. Because God created this earth to work a certain way. God created it to work uh, under a loving rulership. God created it to work where people love each other. And that, frankly, that's what sin is. Sin is any step out of love because God is love. So let's read this in Genesis 3. And to the man, he said, since you've listened to the wife and ate from the tree, and we'll talk someday about the whole tree thing and what, what that means, but for now, you, you, you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree that I commanded you not to eat. The ground, or the earth, is now cursed. It doesn't even say necessarily that God cursed it. And there's, some, there's something I think we miss sometimes. There is simply consequences two sinful actions. How many of you have kids? Don't you love kids? Sometimes, yeah. But we all go through the thing at some point in our life where we say to our little toddler or little kid that's running around, that stove is hot. I don't want you to get burned. There's nothing I can do about it. We have to have a stove in this house. Well, you shouldn't have even, see, this is the same reasoning that people say, well, God shouldn't have even made it to where that could have happened. Well, you shouldn't have a stove in your house. But because we need a stove in our house as part of our lives, as part of uh, how, how we function, we say to our child, now, this stove, and we don't go through all this. Some of you may go through this whole explanation. You know, honey, we can make we can make SpaghettiOs on that, or you can burn your face off, one of the two. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes they don't understand. But when they go up there and they burn their face off, it's not that, well, you caused their face to be burned off. No, you didn't. It's simply a natural consequence of their, uh, of their disobedience. It's not necessarily even so much their disobedience. They uh, did something that's out of step with the way that is designed to function. A house is designed to function a certain way. It doesn't mean that you don't love them. That's the way it's designed to function. If they will keep in step with that, good will happen. If they get out of step with that, bad will happen. It's simply a consequence. But God said the ground is cursed because of you. Not because of me, because of you. He goes on and says all your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It'll grow thistles for you, though you'll eat from its grains. He says because of you. And, and, and our time is sort of getting away as it always does. But Romans 8, and we'll have to skip through some of these. Romans 8 says that somehow because of us, that creation itself is now groaning. That there's something about the, the things that we do on this earth that cause creation itself to be out of sync with what God originated. Because some people say, well, what about all the natural disasters? What about all the storms and the earthquakes and things like this? Why does God allow those to happen? It's simply a result that creation is affected by our choices, by our consequences. Now, something I do want to cover be, before we go to the questions, we're going to open it up here in, um, in, in just a second. And I see we have a couple questions here, and it looks like it's a pretty good one. I, I don't want you to think at all, and Greg, I'll, have to have you, I'll try to direct you to the slide I want to go to here in just a moment. Um, There he has a slide up there that says all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation isn't as God intended. I don't want you to think at all that the suffering or a tragedy that you may experience, when we say it's because of sin, it's not necessarily that when you do a particular sin, something tragically happens, that that tragedy happened because of your personal sin. For example, in Luke chapter 13, and Greg, if you can get to that uh, slide, Jesus said this, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people. I always like to stop and say this. Why did Jesus have to be informed that Pilate had murdered some people? Because he didn't know. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices to the temple. So here we have, this is like, Fox News or CNN and you have this news flash, all these people were murdered by the government. A government person murdered all these people. And Jesus said, do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? See, anytime they're suffering, anytime there's a tragedy, the first question we ask is why? Why did that happen? And Jesus is asking this crowd, he said, you guys, because this is the way the Jewish people thought. If something good happened to you, it's because you did something good and God is blessing you. something bad happens to you, it's because you did something to offend or get, sort of tick God off. And God is against you now. Jesus is saying, is that why they suffered? He said, not at all. That will always be the answer. Jesus gives us the answer. Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. What he's actually saying, then he goes on, I'll I'll talk this next part. He says, verse 4, And what about the 18 people who died? This is verse 4. What about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Or some happened, they were building or construction or something. Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? Jesus said, no. I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. In other words, there's something about your sin, it's it's everyone's sin, it's not their individual sin, unless you all repent, unless you all come to me, this sin is going to permeate society, it's going to permeate creation. It's the reason that these bad things are happening, not because I want them to. There's another story, and I want to get to that really quickly, in John chapter 9. This is such a misunderstood passage, where Jesus is walking along, in, in John chapter 9, it says that Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now, Jesus, when he's walking along, he sees this person, he's blind. Jesus saw a man. Unfortunately, like so many of us Christians, his disciples saw a theological discussion. Verse 2, Rabbi, his disciples ask him, why? And once again, that's what we're asking. We see someone that's blind, we see someone that's suffering. Why was this man born blind? Was it because his own sins? or his parents' sins. See their thinking? If he's born blind, either he or his parents must have done something wrong, and he's being punished by God for his sins. They're not concerned with helping him. They just are interested in the theological discussion. That's why we have to be very careful, even when we begin to discuss questions. The reason we discuss these questions is so we can understand God more, and then show his love and deliverance to people who are suffering. But Jesus answered that question. He said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now here's where people misunderstand so, so much about Jesus and who he is and how God is. People say, yeah, see, some things happen. God causes evil just so he can deliver people from it and then people can see that he's Jesus or see that he's the deliverer. That's not what Jesus said. Because he goes on And some people say, yeah, when this person's blind, that's the power of God. God has done that to teach him something or to show forth his glory somehow. But Jesus said, this happens so the power of God can be seen. We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us. In verse 4, by the one who sent us, the night is coming and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, what he means is the world's really dark bad things like this are happening everywhere. There's suffering all over, but I came to be a light in the middle of that. I came to fix that. Verse six, then he spit on the ground. I think Jesus is so cool. Jesus says sometimes, you know, you can think what you want. This is probably theologically incorrect, but sometimes Jesus is such a guy. (laughs) He's just such a dude. He spits and makes mud. It's just what a guy would do. He spits on the ground. He made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Then told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went, washed, and came back seeing. And this is the thing you need to know about Jesus. No matter how dark, no matter how much suffering there is in the world, he's not just saying, well, you sin, so too bad. He came to bear that sin. He came to accept that sin and fix it. And that's the commission he gives to us. That's why we have church. That's why we talk about Jesus is so we can see, oh, that's who he is. He's given me that same character. I'm to be light in this world. Anywhere I see suffering, I'm to bring his healing and his restoration. The whole Bible is a story of him turning evil and turning suffering for good. Well, I'm going to look real, real quick. We have, a, we have at least one question. Um, Is that the only one, Greg? Well, let's do that one, though. Whatever the other ones are, we can do those later. But here's the question, and do you have it where you can put it up on the screen? There you go. How do people who believe in and devoutly follow a God justify killing innocent people in their God's name? and answer that in three minutes, please. <laughs> How do people who believe in God justify killing innocent people in God's name? Well, number one, they can't, they can't. This is, this is a discussion we'll probably do uh, two or three messages on this sometime. But Jesus, when he came, if, if anybody had the right to say, you know, you guys have messed up. It was Jesus. If anybody had the right to fight back as they, as they came and they arrested Jesus, as they beat him, as they tore him, tore him to shreds at the whipping post, as they nailed him to a cross and all of his blood poured out, if anybody had the right, in fact, Jesus said, at any time I could call a legion of angels and they would fight his, his followers tried to fight for him, and he said, no, 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 you put up the sword. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. And, uh, you know, we, we've had some of these discussions before, but there is never, never a case where, in, in fact, uh, I, I did a Facebook post on this yesterday. Um, the early church, the, the disciples right after Jesus' time, lived in a very, very hostile environment as far as the government was concerned. And we know that very soon after Jesus died, as the church began to grow and Christianity began to spread, the Roman government began to persecute the Christians. And um, so, you know, they killed them. They killed them with the sword. They brought them into the Colosseum and released the lions on them. But what the Christians did was no matter how evil people were to them, they served them. No matter if there were people in the, the, entire, the entire empire believed differently than them. The entire empire was a, a pantheistic empire, uh, had pantheistic beliefs in many, many gods. And here they were coming along and saying, this person that was born is actually God. He lived, he died, he rose again. And they were persecuted, they were opposed. And if any, and, but what they did is they simply loved, they simply gave. If Somebody punched them on one cheek, they turned the other. And this sacrificial love actually changed the entire Roman Empire. And uh, they didn't have a right to vote. They had no power. But they changed, revolutionized the world. Until the year 311. And we don't have time to go into the whole history lesson. 311 is the Edict of Toleration by Constantine. Uh, uh, 313, the Edict of Milan, where the church was given the authority of the state. They were legalized. You could be a Christian. In fact, Constantine said everybody, eventually he said, everybody has to be a Christian. He legislated morality throughout the entire Roman Empire. You have to be a Christian. Just a few years after that, we have the first instance of Christians going into a pagan temple and ransacking the temple and killing all the priests. The the church laid down the power of the cross, and took up the power of the sword. There is never, never a justification. And, and there, that's when that evil is in this world, and frankly, that's why if I understand if you're here and you're not a Christian, where you're saying, you know, there's been so much killing, so much evil in the name of God, even in the name of Jesus or the name of Allah or whoever. So religion, why would I ever want to come to religion? And I just want to tell you, don't ever come to religion. Religion is the scourge of humanity. But Jesus is not religion at all. He came to show this is who God is. I'm giving myself for you. I'm taking the blame for everything you've done. And I'm offering you life. I'm offering you protection. I'm offering you, me, myself, I'm offering you this relationship that uh, will not only cause. See, just imagine, Jesus said that out of the inside of you come all these evil things out of your heart. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what would happen in your family. What would happen in this community. And ultimately, what would happen in the entire world if every single person on the planet actually lived and thought like Jesus himself? A person that says, oh, no, it's not what I want. It's what you want. What if every single person, just imagine driving on the interstate. Instead of, you know, middle fingers and honking and shooting, it would be, oh, no, you go first. No, please, no, after you. Oh, I'm sorry. Was I in your way? What would happen if everyone lived like Jesus? The world would be as God intended. It's not God that's causing the suffering. So that's a great question. Our time is gone today. I'm going to pray, and my buddy Joe is going to come up here and and dismiss us. But uh, if you're not involved, I want to say this. We'll pause for this commercial announcement. If you're not involved somehow, uh, and we're not having question mark tonight. I thought I deleted that off that. Maybe I didn't. if you are not involved somehow in serving here at Stonebrook, come tonight at 5 o'clock. You're not going to be pressured at all, but I think that you'll have a little better insight into what it takes for Stonebrook to happen. And we, frankly, we, we need your help. We want your help. And it's, uh, it's part of this community. It's part of learning to be like Jesus as you interact with people and as you serve others, you become more like him. Father, thank you so much for everything that you're doing in us. Thank you so much for your love for us. Help us to be the light in this world as you, as your love flows through us to others. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.